Hey everyone, welcome to Pieces of You, a show about life through the lens of four fierce and resilient women who lost their moms too damn soon. Each episode will feature stories to inspire hope, healing, and connection. Because if we work together, we can make the broken better. Hey everyone, it's Christine. I will be hosting today's episode. It's actually been a while since we've recorded because we've had some exciting things happening behind the scenes at Pieces of You podcast. One of my co-hosts in particular had something really special happen. And so Sarah, I'm wondering if you'd like to share with us. What? (laughs) I didn't know I was going to get the spotlight this early in the episode. Yes, I am married. I just got married. Yeah, thank you. And went on a honeymoon and it was lovely. And now I'm back. And what a better way to, you just use the word reemergence, I think, Nian, that's sticking with me to reemerge into, into life and to restart, to come back into season two. It's fun. (laughs) I love that. I love (laughs) that. All about the podcast. Yes. So today our episode will be focusing on accessing and trusting our knowing. And Sarah just mentioned our guest's name, Nia. This is an extra special day for me as I get to introduce you to an amazing friend and an amazing human, Nia. Nia, I forgot I was going to ask you, how do you say your last name? I've known you forever and I don't know how to say it. No, I barely do. It's Dalavelle. It's a Dalavelle, but I usually go by, I go by Nia or Nia Claire. People know me that way because Dalavelle is intimidating. They immediately opt out. So I just make it simple. I'm so glad I didn't attempt that. (laughs) (laughs) So anyway, Nia and I first met through one of my dearest friends, Autumn. And Autumn actually invited us to a channeling session together where Nia channeled for both of us. And following this, I did several other channeling events with Nia, like a couple of group ones. And then through She Climbs Mountains, we actually offered a gathering for the women who participate in that group and Nia channeled for that group. And then I've also met with Nia as a coach. So we've had several interactions about life and next steps. And yeah, so basically, like I said, life coaching. So anyway, I am so excited to introduce to you now. My friend Nia, welcome. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here with all of you. This is great. This is great. Thank you for the opportunity. Yes. So I know I briefly introduced you, but I'd love for you to tell us in more detail yourself about you and your work. Yes, absolutely. So you already mentioned I channel. I am a spiritual channel. I've been doing that probably my whole life. I mean, there's, there's no way of knowing. But I, from a very young age, knew things. I, I, there's no way that I would have known. And it wasn't until after my son was born. Now he's 12, right? So it was about 10 and a half years ago that I started, I had a, what I'll call a spiritual awakening. One of those moments of the lights went on and I, you know, some people like have lightning experiences. For me, I was having Reiki done and there was a little bit of a, a moment of, I know this, I know all of this. And I, it started a journey of me of self-discovery. And in the very same month, I started my Reiki training, which is energy healing. 
And within a couple of weeks, I started my coaching journey. So everything just kind of lined up. I'm like, I guess this is what I'm supposed to be doing now. And it was about a year after I started doing that work that I was getting visited by angels and and having dreams of doing this work of channeling. And I, I will tell you, it was not something I said yes to right away. It was something I pretty much said, nope, that's too weird. I think I'm going to go back to corporate executive training. That's what I wanted to. But then I, I dabbled and I tried it out and it opened up a whole world for me. And I do transformational life coaching. My business is called Yes Word Coaching. I help women in particular, but also men. It's been a very interesting couple of years. Everything's shifted around, but really working with people who are in the habit of holding back, holding back their dreams, their visions, and they're, they're in this state of, it always feels like everything's just beyond their reach. And I help them develop a clearer awareness of their intuition, their knowing, so that they can go from hesitant to hell yes in their dreams and what they're longing for. So I've been doing that work for a while, right? Yay, it's so fun. And so, yeah, but the intuition piece plays into everything that I do. And the, the channeling, I will say this, I, just because people don't always know what that is. You know, channeling is, and it's weird. So I'm the first one to say it. I do it so I can say it. I know it's weird. Sometimes I have to pinch myself. But what channeling is, the channeling that I do is I allow my consciousness, my conscious being, self, my awareness to leave my body and I allow spirit to speak through me. These aren't spirits like those who've passed or are wandering, you know, the earth that we think of or people's guides. These are teachers. Hi, what I actually have learned to think of more of a collective superconscious of humanity. So we are all connected all the time. You know, we do things in rhythm around the planet, even against our own will. Right? We do things in this rhythm. And how do we get information? How does inspiration come in? How does how do we learn the lessons that are there for us? Well, there are channels all over the all over the planet that are receiving this information. And that's one of the things that I do. Some of the channels on the planet are musicians. Some of the channels on the planet are artists. Some are politicians. Some are mothers. Those that are really, really, really in that alignment, bringing forward new, new information, new awareness through their works. This is just the way that I do it. And so I hope that helps. Yeah. So originally when, when I was thinking about and planning for this episode, I was envisioning that you would talk to us about channeling and channel with us. But when we met, I don't know, it's been probably a couple months since we met and talked about what this episode would look like. You made it really clear to me that your work is shifting. And really, instead of you channeling for others, you're more in a place of wanting to help others recognize the knowledge, the knowing and the energy that they contain inside of themselves. Is that a good way to put it? I think so. I think the piece that happens, and this is with a lot of things, it's not just channeling, but we get into the mode of seeking or looking for confirmation, looking for validation, looking for validity in our life experience, right? So we join groups or we buy cards, or we look for astrological omens to explain the world. And all of that is important. Those are tools. Channeling 
is a tool. It's no more or less important than what you come to know in yourself. But we oftentimes don't take the time to get to know who we are and what is right for us. And I think it ties in to your overall message around motherless daughters and women. Let's just get to women. Women are taught to dismiss their knowing from a very early age. And it's in coming back to that knowing, coming back to what is true for me in this now moment that is where our power resides. Our true unshakable power resides in that. So for me, one of the things that has come up for me over the last few years is having groups of people come and I'm offering them information that might help them in for five minutes or five months. But there, it's like teaching. What is that old adage? You know, you can teach, you can give a man a fish and he eats for a day. You can teach him to fish and he fishes for his life. This is how do I teach you to fish? How do I teach you to trust yourself? Then our conversation changes in a channeled environment because then you're not seeking for validation or seeking for confirmation. You're seeking, you're coming and you're a part of a conversation that's at a very different level of engagement. Does that make sense to everybody? And there's nothing wrong with seeking. Don't get me wrong. I I mean, I do it too. There are moments like where the the rugs pulled out from underneath me. I don't know which way is up. I'm reaching for everything I can before I come back to me. (laughs) You know, it's, it's, it's habituated. So is the channeling a tool to come back to yourself? Yeah, that's a really good question. I didn't think of it that way until very recently, which is very funny. As a matter of fact, I had a good friend of mine who's like, well, you channel for yourself, don't you? And I thought, no, no, I don't. And part of the reason I I had to face that, you know, when you, COVID was a wonderful opportunity for self-reflection, if anybody didn't pick up on that, right? So it was such a good time to go, well, what do I think about this? So a friend asked me that and I thought, I don't really do that for myself. And part of the reason I think was because it's not that I was afraid of the answers. I was afraid that I, there was like a, what if this is all just crazy? What if it makes me crazy if I'm like having this conversation? So I started a couple of months ago, I started channeling for myself every day. And I will tell you what it is. The way I like to think of channeling is that as I'm getting information, what's happening is I'm open. Think of like an open vessel. Well, when you're open, there's a lot of trust. And there's my faith has grown in my trust of the world that I live in. And I start, my world begins here and then goes out instead of in inward. Does that make sense? Instead mm-hmm. of reacting to the world around me, I've shifted. It's like the poles have shifted where I am, I know who I am, and now I can look and be in the world in a different way. More grounded, we call it grounded, centered, clear, but it's even more than that. It's like resonant. Sometimes I feel like a, like sound covers it better and I wish I could, you know, I wish I had a gong or something like bong, you know that, you know that feeling where you have like right, that's just it. That's just who I am. That's true of me. We all kind of have I do you know what I'm talking about? Do you guys? Yeah, it just like fits. It feels, it's almost like a drug almost. It's just like everything's <laughs> like, like, it's like bliss a little bit. I'm just really curious. It sounds like from a therapy perspective, it's also a secure attachment 
in a way. Yeah. Having that sense of security, that base. Yeah. I love that because everything else in a way, anything outside of ourselves is always going to be less secure right? It's always going to be less. We will always have doubt. But when you feel it in yourself, then you know. It's one of those things like, I've watched a lot of TV and stuff and and YouTube videos. Anybody else? Like COVID has been really good for that, right? But I watched this whole thing about women. There was a whole, I can't remember the name of it, but it was about after women have been attacked. For example, it could be people, but it's in particular women, like when they, they've been attacked or something has happened, they knew, they knew something was wrong. They talk about this repeatedly and how we have literally been trained to dismiss that knowing, right? And it puts us in harm's way, but it doesn't just put us in harm's way with attackers. It puts us in harm's way with being in the world. Where is that knowing? Where is that center of knowing. And so that's where I think the the work that I'm passionate about resides. And I'm happy to have, like, I love, I still get excited about when Christine and I've had time, like where I'm talking, something's coming through and I'm like, and all of a sudden she's like, yes. And I'm like, yes, I'm just as excited. (laughs) You know, it's so delightful. But now what, now what, now what, now what do we want to do with that? Right. Where do we let that land from being like an exception to the rule to being the rule. So I want to talk about, you said a couple of times now, you know, women have been taught to not trust themselves, right? And so I'd love to talk about that in the context of us all having experienced the loss of our mothers and how I think that has definitely impacted my ability. I I, I don't know, is it trust in myself, but trust in in others around me. I think it is trust in self too. I I guess it's a question I want to put out there for my co-host too. Like, how do you feel your loss has possibly played into the role of you maybe not trusting yourselves, or maybe you do trust yourselves? I, I don't know. Let's start there. And then Nia, I'd love for you to kind of dive in more to how you support people in accessing their own gift of knowing. In their intuition. So my co-hosts, what are your thoughts? Do you feel like you trust yourselves? If not, do you think the loss of your mom has played a role in, in a lack of trust of self? Anyone want to start? This is Shadia. I feel like, well, first I want to say that I do feel like I have a really strong knowing, but sometimes I don't know how to take action on that or to how to organize that, the knowing. And as far as we can get into that a little bit later, but as far as I do trust myself, but again, I think it comes down to all of these voices saying different things to me at different times, like you should be doing this, you shouldn't. I second guess my own decisions because of knowing I just have one life because I've experienced the loss of life and I want it to be the right decision and I want to control that decision. So it's kind of about control as well. I also am a big empath. And so, I mean, put me at a party and I am just taking everybody's feelings in and absorbing, reacting differently, probably than I want to be as like as myself, but just because I want, just because I know how people I know how to react to different people in different situations, I guess. But that also 
freaking irritating to me because it makes doesn't really allow me to be my true self. Wow, Nia, you yeah. and I need our own couple. <laughs> Christine, I derailed your your question. No, no, you didn't. <laughs> I, I don't think you did at all. I think you're. Yeah, it's right on. It, I love it. It resonates too. I just want to say, <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, I was gonna say the control really resonates for me, Shadia. This is Sarah speaking. Just to clarify, if Tony's listening, he knows because <laughs> he is the person I try. He's my new husband, my only, my one and only oh my husband. God. But we were newlywed. It comes out a lot in our relationship. My controlling behaviors. It's very interesting. It also comes out a lot with myself, like self control in ways that can be beneficial and other times more harmful. But it's really interesting honing in on that idea of trust and how it, we've talked about that before on the show in the context of relationships with others more so in the relationships episode. It's really interesting to think about it in relationship to intuition and self-trust and self-love and I 100% see a relationship between the loss of my mom and a complete lack of trust in the world, in the universe. And yet there's also at the same time, this is the ultimate duality and coexistence of, it seems like opposing things. It has also proven to me that everything will be fine in the strangest way. Everything could go wrong at any moment and everything is fine and will be fine and is not fine. It's crazy to try to, I, I feel like Christine, when you and I were chatting earlier, it's almost like that came up in our conversation. I'm like, how are you? You're like, Ugh, I don't even know how to answer this. <laughs> it's like, I'm fine, but I'm not. Sorry yeah. to out you, but yeah, it's, <laughs> it's okay. Whew. Yeah. I think that's why it can be so hard even answering that question, which we've all talked about before too. So this lack of trust in the world that you were talking about, Sarah, and then Shadia talking about like control and needing to make the right decision because you have one life, but becoming stagnant in that. And it can be really like you're and you're just stuck. Mm -hmm. And the knowing is there. Now it is. It wasn't there before. I feel like I trust myself more now than I ever did before even before my mom died, because I was a kid and a teenager. But just because of what I've learned about myself through my own healing journey, and about my relationships with other people. But those themes really, really struck me. And this aspect of control over like my life and my decisions and my relationships, because I lost control. And it wasn't even my choice. You know what I mean? <laughs> the control was completely taken away from you because of the loss. And so your loss of trust in the world and the people in the world and the people who care for you. I lost so much trust in the people who care for me, not because of anyone's fault, but because of this, everybody not trusting themselves and not trusting how to communicate, not being modeled, not being shown like how to trust yourself and how to communicate with, with yourself and with other people. Just a lot of that is coming up for me right now. And it's different for me now, but that control shows up. And I think I think on a good day when I'm trying to kid myself, I would label it as I want to have structure. You know, I, I would call it something positive, like like structure. 
but really it's more toxic than that. And I, and I have to be honest with myself about that and then make further choices and decisions in my relationships with people, with my partner, with my friendships, with my family, with myself about, okay, this is not structure. This is about control. And then being curious about that and exploring that feeling within myself. Why is that there? Why is that need there? And it will stem back to a lack of trust, a lack of trust within myself. And I have to unpack that further. I feel like it, it all comes back to that. You know what I mean? I think that early loss or loss at any point in life shatters the illusion we have of control. And so to have that shattered at such a young age, I think is really impactful. And that's, it's interesting to think how it sounds like we all struggle. I don't know if Christine, you haven't talked about control so much, but you know, the control is something that comes up as a result of this lack of trust. And yet you'd think I, you know, I'd be a master at this point at realizing I'm not in control. (laughs) That's really interesting. But I think that's a branch of this trauma that happened, this stunted trauma you know, that happened to, to us or somebody with early loss of this loss of control. And that's almost like a separate piece of that trauma. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, yeah, sure. Maybe, oh, we've gone this long. You think we'd be masters at it, but trauma manifests in so many different ways for people and can evolve and develop over time. And so don't should yourself on that, yeah, Sarah. Yeah, so thank you. Thank be you. gentle with yourself on that. Totally. I am sitting here thinking too about the time of loss and what, you know, when I was 15 and really this lack of awareness of self. And one of the things that I think when I look back on my childhood, there was no encouraging of listen to yourself or listen to your body or, or anyone asking me, how do you feel? right? Or how does that make you feel in your body, right? Where I'm going to tell you as a parent, I'm constantly asking my kids that constantly. I am constantly encouraging them to listen to their knowing, to access their intuition always. And it can be as simple as, you know, regarding eating something, or it can be something way bigger than that. (laughs) That's like having to do with like my oldest in a relationship. What does your gut tell you about this person, right? Listen to that. So I don't know what, you know, what the rest of you, your experiences were growing up, but to Nia's point earlier about we have been taught to not listen. I think, I believe our generation, my generation, I guess, Sarah and Aaron, you're, you're the next generation, right? But I, I, I don't know, you know, I think that up until now, there really hasn't been a message of letting young people really listen to themselves in the way that ways that they should because so many times young people know so much better mm-hmm. right the truth than we do as adults so have you guys had that experience where a young person just says something and you're like oh shit that is true right mm-hmm. whereas adults are like ah we cover it up or we make it look prettier anyway i'm going to stop talking nia i'd love to know your thoughts on this i am just first of all this conversation is powerful on so many levels. So thank you all for sharing. And the piece that you were just bringing up, Christine, about ultimately when we have trauma, when things are pulled in, you know, trauma, in this case, the conversation is around 
you know, losing your mother. Trauma, there's no room for it in our culture. There's literally no room for it. You should get past it. There's barely any room for grief. When we think about just the need of the individual, it's more the response is, you're over this, right? Because I don't have anything to give. You're over your thing. You're okay, right? So that I can move on with my life. And that's generations of pushing down, tamping down that knowing. Because the knowing is also really messy. The knowing is also emotionally engaged with yourself. Like, oh, I have emotions. They are real. They are valid. I am confused. I am uncertain. I don't trust you. We, we've been taught to be polite as a way of, way of moving in the world. And I love what you said. The truth is, is that we have some separation starting to happen generationally that is changing that. We have space that's being created where we have now parents making choices to raise their children, honoring their children's experience. I said the other day, I, was, I don't remember where it was. I, my daughter, I have a three-year-old and I'm Gen X. So I'm probably the oldest one here. So it's Gen X with a three-year-old so that get, we're getting into that, right? So now I've got a Gen, what is it, Alpha? So we're, <laughs> we're three in between. I don't know what's going on. Anyway, I spent my whole life trying to figure out what my instruction manual was. Because people would know things. I'm like, and they all acted like you should just know this. And I didn't know it. And I, I immediately, that was like, there's something wrong with me. So I spent a lot of time and energy trying to fix something that I perceived was wrong with me. It wasn't nobody told me directly and nobody said it, but I, there was some deficit that I could feel in the ethers, right? I watched my daughter and we got her a new bet. I'll give this example. We got her a new bed and she all day, oh, I love my bed. She sleeps with me right now, right? She, I love my bed. I love my bed. I can't wait. She's playing in the bedroom all day. She's dolls, everything, the whole thing. And we get to putting her down to bed. She's all excited. She gets up. It's like a little bit of a raised bed. And she gets up in the bed and she looks at me and she says, mama, I'm just too little for this bed. <laughs> Right. And and I thought, oh, darn it. Like I want my bed back. Right. <laughs> you are so inconvenient. <laughs> right. Totally. That's my, that's like, yes. what, what can I do? And I realized she has her instruction manual intact. She's telling me exactly what she needs. I'm too little. I need to sleep with you, mom. And I thought, don't mess that up. Right. That's the kind of parenting we're coming into. And so when we think about, and that's culture too, that's culture. There's a cultural shift to these kids are wise, right? Christy, you just said it. They, they're wise. They're telling truth. They're laying it all out. And we're like, yeah. you make me so uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> totally. <laughs> but we, we, each one of us is choosing every day the best we can to allow that. Keeping in mind that we grew up in, think about it like um, radiation poisoning. We may not have been there for the blast, but we're still getting the residual. But these kids are far enough away from it that we're seeing something new rise up. 
So when we think about trauma and we think about all these things, part of what creates the trauma and part of what perpetuates that feeling of not enoughness is that we keep looking for what's broken. We keep looking to fix something that's missing that was never really missing. There's grief, but you are wonderful and wonderfully made. You have so much wisdom inside of you. And when you tap into that and start to like lean into that, lean into that is true even if you don't believe it. Over time, things start to happen. You start to shift in like, oh, actually, I knew that wasn't going to work. Oh, yeah, that relationship. I knew that wasn't going to be the thing. That client, I knew it. Now, next time, how do I take that and move that forward? Stop being shocked and start being like, I actually have, an, I have a user's manual. I'm starting to use it. That's what we're shifting into. That's what that, that, so it's not intuition like inspiration. It's not intuition like some gut check. It's literally you operating at full capacity, using everything you've got. Intuition and your inner wisdom are actually related, but not the same. Inner wisdom is like unshakable. You know you, you know what's right for you. Just like my daughter, she had no guilt saying, hey, I'm sleeping with you until the first, you know, for the foreseeable future. She didn't care. She didn't care how that affects me. Does that make sense? But I'm, I hopefully that makes sense. I'm kind of mind blown by the intuition is different than inner wisdom. And that makes sense when you say it out loud, but I haven't. No, I, I, yeah, I want you to talk. I mean, I want you to talk more about that. Actually, <laughs> that's really interesting for me because I feel like my intuition is my knowing is my inner wisdom. Right. Is your intuition like you're more empathic, more about feeling, but your true wisdom is like your core of who you are? Yeah. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I'm saying intuition. So I'm giving levels because I think we stop too soon. That's what I'm saying. We stop too soon. We go, oh, I'm empathic. Empathic is not the same as intuitive, right? Empathic means I feel things. I feel things very intensely. And I have such a keen sense of what's happening around me that I am co-feeling something, co-experiencing. Intuition is, it's almost like an inner vision, an inner awareness that is broader than just a feeling. It's like I co-experiencing. I'm going to change it from feeling, co-feeling to co-experiencing. And is it more of a future? Uh, like is intuition more of like a... Not necessarily. Could it be Pat? Okay. Yep. Intuition, like it's a, think of it the way we usually think about intuition. It's, it's a hunch. It's a gut feeling. It's like this. It's that initial thing. Uh, it's the first jolt of caffeine. <laughs> I mean, it's like that. Whereas that core, and we've, I'm, I'm guessing we've probably all met somebody at some point who just knows themselves. They move through the world with that knowing. You might even call them unflappable. They have no problem saying, we go, oh, they have great boundaries, <laughs> but they're not setting boundaries. They just know what they will and won't do. They're, there's not, they're not going, I'm setting boundaries today. <laughs> not, they're not doing that. They just go, this is who I am and how I'm moving through the world. That's that, that comes from that inner wisdom. It's an embodiment of that knowing as a way of being in the world. I love that. Yes. Yeah. And I think we're ready for, I mean, I think 
more and more and more people are getting sick of the bombardment of inputs, Miss Empaths, right? Oh my <laughs> a couple here, right? right? I'm so sick me, of me, all me. this. <laughs> and then what you do is you go, well, I don't have a choice about this. This is how the world is. And so we're reacting to that and shaping our lives like, oh, maybe I, I have to turn off things to be in the world. I have to shut doors, slam up, build up walls between us. Whereas instead, what we can do is we can go within and go, okay, who am I in this? How am I choosing to be today? How am I choosing to be moving about the world? Doesn't mean you never have, I'm not saying I've got it down by any means. Like just ask my husband, right? He'll tell you, he's like, like, there are days, (laughs) we all, we have moments. But that feeling, once you come to know it, you want to stay in it. Mm -hmm right? It's like home. It's the home we've been longing for. And where do we seek home? We seek home in our mothers. We do. We seek home there. Going back to the attachment theory, I mean, our parents and our caregivers, our mothers are safe base from which we gain the courage and bravery and confidence to explore the world independently. It makes a lot of sense. And I love how you say the knowing is messy. We actually had said earlier in the in season one, the mess is where the magic happens. And I feel like it all ties in. And when you're talking about intuition, it just feels like the phrase that comes that kept coming to mind is that intuition can be so inconvenient. This idea that <laughs> That's so true. I feel it a lot and it's just not convenient to follow it or I don't feel... Yeah, there's there's an, an interesting resistance around the intuition. And I'm really curious about that. I feel like I'm a particularly stubborn person for someone who's had to adapt so much in their life. And I am really good at adapting. But when given, it's very much on my terms now. I will change when I say I will change. Mm. And it might be two seconds later, but it's when <laughs> I say and that's how it shows up for me. But then it feels like it's a stubborn child who the there's another part of like an older, maybe, I don't know, be wiser part of me that will say, see, you do like things if you try them or if you. So there's this odd inner dialogue that goes on a lot between this child who we're saying, you know, it feels like this inner child who we've named children are very wise. And yet she isn't the wisest all the time because she directs me down paths that I have to then get myself out of. And well, what are you willing, you know, the, the question that it comes down to is what are you willing to trade for comfort? Cause that's what the child wants, or let's call it the immature part of ourselves, right? That part of ourselves that is immature, that is still uncertain that the world is what it is, that we are capable. And so in order to get over that, because you were asking me earlier, how do, what do I teach? What do I, what do I help coach people in? Coming to understand your capabilities. Really, we, I, I bet if I said, hey, tell me your capabilities, you'd all like take a few minutes. But if I said, tell me what you're healing from. Tell me your deficits. Tell me the things that you struggle with. You would all be chomping at the bit, talking over each other. It's easier to talk about where we're lacking than it is to rise up and go, this is what I'm capable of. You just said, Sarah, I am capable of doing a lot, but I resist. Well, sure, 
because the resistance comes and it's natural to have resistance when we're moving forward, right? I, I know you know this, right? So it's natural to have resistance. But what we do is when we stay in that place of resistance just a little too long, we start to believe that that is a form of comfort. It's familiar being in kind of limbo between the decision and the action that is needed. So the longer we spend time in there, that is the serious problem. We get into a habit of being there. And then we go, well, now there's, see, there's something wrong with me. What's wrong with me? I'm hesitant. (laughs) 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 Gotta fix that. Nope. Just gotta take an action. Just gotta push. And so I, I have a lot of experience in that as well. Like that's why I speak to it so well. The things that have helped me is to learn that the only solution resides in action. The only solution resides in action. Nothing else will get me out of that. Nothing else. You are killing me right now. Mm -hmm. I'm having an overhaul of my brain. I need a moment. I need like a rewind. (laughs) (laughs) And I need a replay. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, I can do that once we we put this out (laughs) into the world. But I really resonate with the whole comfort. And I think, you know, how I was talking about earlier, where... I'm really good at take the knowing. I'm good at taking it in, but then it just swirls. And I think a large part to why I won't let it land is because out of discomfort. I know I could take those steps to do X, Y, and Z, but I do not like being uncomfortable because Nobody that does. makes me lose control. Nope, it doesn't. Well, that's what I tell myself. Right. It has nothing to do with control. That's the story we pile on top of that feeling to justify why we're not taking an action. Comfort and control are not opposite sides of the coin, right? Okay. As a matter of fact, how comfortable do you feel when you're controlling everything, right? There's no comfort in that. Oh, comfort. Oh, no, I just feel, my ego feels good then. Yeah, your ego or that feeling like maybe it's security. So I I think the word that we're all kind of dancing around in all of this conversation, I didn't know it would come to, like, I don't know where things are gonna go, right? But let's take comfort and trade that in. Let's trade that word in for security. And then everything will it'll all make more sense, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, right? Because at the end of the day, what are we trading? We're trading in how secure can I be with each maneuver I'm trying to make? I just had a conversation with a client this morning. She's telling me all the things she's going to do to avoid the things she needs to do. (laughs) She wasn't even aware of it. She's like, well, I'm going to wait until I know if this is the right job to apply for. And I said, just apply for it. Oh, but I should know whether or not it's a good fit for me. I said, how would you know ahead? There is no job description on the planet that is that good, (laughs) right? There's none. I said, just apply. And if it's a good fit for them, you'll be offered an interview. And that's what an interview is. It goes two ways. You don't owe anybody anything. As we had this little conversation, I said, so how much time have you spent in the last week thinking about all the ways you don't have to apply for this job? We need to move into action. It's right there. Just do it. Just do the thing. And will it be sloppy? Yes. Could it be a waste of time? Yes, but no more or less a waste of time than what you just did. Everything moves us forward because we that's how we learn. That's how we learn. That's what learning is. 
How about when you're trying to decipher between taking two different roads? Maybe it's not just like, I know I want to do this, but I'm scared to, whatever. But what if it's two different roads you're going down and you want to, and you're trying to make a decision, like what would be some tools in order to figure out what is the right decision? The very best tool is a trusted advisor. Because if you're trying to figure it out on your own, you can't, whether it's a coach or whether it's a friend who has a new, who's not going to be like, yeah, girl, you go out of everything that you say. (laughs) You (laughs) need somebody who's literally going to listen, repeat back to you so that you can hear what you're not saying, that they can feel the feelings with you, that they can ask you the questions that you might not even think to ask yourself. Those kind of situations, having that other party is so absolutely critical. It took me a long time to learn that. And there are the people that you, you know, that we all have. We have people that are always going to cheer us on. But we need, sometimes we need somebody who isn't cheering on who we think we are, but who's cheering on who we are growing into becoming. And that's, that's really an important important piece. And that's probably why I still do everything that I do. (laughs) It's like that if we knew ahead, we do so many amazing things, right? And so how do we have the courage and have the support we need to be able to do it in spite of not knowing? And that's a human trait. That is a function of being human. Human beings are explorers. We are inquisitive. We're curious. We actually don't require a lot of security. If you think about what we have accomplished around the planet, every culture has gone beyond what is necessary to do something new. We didn't need a wheel. We wanted a wheel. We didn't need to have different kinds of soil tilling and things like that. But then we wanted it. We said, maybe we could have more. Some of it to our good, some of it to our detriment. But it is innate in our human nature. And that, again, is listening to that inner wisdom. And so when we trust that, like security, we trade an awful lot for that. I keep coming back to, you said, how do we have the courage? Something like this. You said, how do we have the courage (laughs) in spite of not knowing? Yeah which I just feel like you, you're you framing this in such a helpful way for me as someone who I do really feel, as Christine mentioned earlier, early loss plays a powerful role in how intuition and just your sense of self develops throughout life. And I think, yeah, I was the youngest and I feel like I really, I talk about this with my therapist a lot, but I really struggle with my identity and my sense of self in the world. And I'm uncomfortable a lot. I seek comfort a lot. And I think it's because that inner child, like that four and a half year old who needed a lot of comfort and a lot of validation, she is really activated a lot and still needs that. And so to look at it through the lens of how do I create, what do I need to create in my life to feel brave, essentially, to feel like I have the courage to do the things I want to do, because the world is a scary place, especially for a child. That's what a parent is there to offer them, is that 
again, that safe base, that encouragement that it's not, you know, there comes a point in a child's life where you start to be more maybe honest about the scary parts of the world. And again, as people who lost, you know, experienced tragedy so young, we know we knew that we didn't know we knew that at the time in the way that we know it now. But yeah, that exposure to trauma just so early and then having to comfort that wounded part of the self while still growing into this more mature adult self. It feels very confusing and exhausting. And I still, as a therapist and just as a human being, get confused around the whole idea of change. That was one of the first questions that was posed to us in grad school was like, they just asked, they took a general survey. Do you think you change over time or stay the same? So it's in, you know, more or less a question like, do you change over time or are you the same person you were from day one? And it was a really interesting discussion that came about from that. It turns out just people answer it with a lot of different perspectives and kind of ways of understanding the question. But I I still wrestle with that question in our conversation because you talk about this, what feels like a stable sense of self, but then also there's a change that occurs and we want to change and grow, but yet we're trying to come are we trying to come back to us something that's, I hear that phrase saying a lot, you know, like come back to yeah. yourself. Yeah. I don't know what that means. I'm thinking, that means either, but go ahead, I'm thinking of the word foundation and yeah. And also how our mothers play an essential role in building our foundation. I don't know. I, it's a really good question though. Where does that foundation come from? And is that what we're we need a foundation in order to trust ourselves. And that's what we're going back to. Yes. But where is it from? <laughs> if it was taken. Where does it come from to begin with? Right. Uh, that's more what I mean. So interesting. Right. I love this question. And I'm going to give a pat answer, which we could do four more shows on. <laughs> Just said, okay. So this is only what I'm not saying I'm an expert on this. But when you are talking about this, it's like, the essence of you, we talk about soul, you know, people talk about soul, we talk about spirit, we talk about essence, we talk about whatever resonates, right? It's not personality. Personality is different, right? Personality is shaped by our environment. Personality is this way of being and interacting in the world. But within that, like if you go even deeper than that, there's this center, center of being, the the nougat, you know, (laughs) good stuff, that really good stuff. That is now imagine without without personality, without sex, without without limit, and it has an expression of being. Some people will say, "Well, what's my purpose?" Purpose is personality. That's a human construct. Like you have to have a purpose. Well, do you? I don't know. I don't know. I so I find that to be like the red herring of my lifetime. Right? <laughs> like, oh my gosh, I gotta find my purpose. So um, maybe it's under the in the sock drawer or something where the other lost socks are missing. I don't know. (laughs) But think of it like just a life expression, kind of like as a metaphor, does a seed need to know what it's growing into to become what it is becoming? I know that's weird because do seeds have consciousness? We could go there, right? I get it. I get it. But if you think about a flower or a plant, any plant, like it's a seed, 
right? It starts as a seed or a bulb. And what does it do? It grows roots and it, it, it forms inside and then it starts to grow. Which direction does it grow usually? Up, right? And it grows towards the light. It knows instinctually to grow, right? There's no point in time where a toddler or a baby goes, okay, it's Thursday, you've been, you've been alive 379 days, start walking. Start the walking process, let the walking process commence. It doesn't happen like that. There's an instinct in a child, right? That says, okay, now I'm ready. I'm, I'm pulled towards wanting to grow in that direction. It's innate in our being. It's, there's no set timing. There's no set way. Not every child learns to walk the same way. Not every child, right? But somehow we all know how to find the nipple, even if we don't latch well, just saying, right? There's that. We all know how to walk, to crawl, to walk, to start to stand, to run, do all these things, right? We, we do all of this. And there's, that does not require mom or dad standing over us going, now's the time. So that's the essence that we're talking about, that part of us that just knows. And in the same way, we know that we learn about the world. We engage with the world. We are drawn to certain things. If we're in a different culture, our interpretation of mom and dad might be very different. We might have mothers and fathers. But part of the challenge that we're, we're facing in Western culture on top of a loss, there's also the loss of the expected outcome or the expectation of what this relationship should look like, what I should have been given, what I should have. And on top of that, we have a grossly dysfunctional, emotional ability to support people where they're at. Anybody who falls outside of the norm, we just go, Psh, you're drawing on my energy and I don't know how to deal with you because nobody taught me how to deal with this. And nobody taught the other person how to deal with that. My mom and my dad, my mom and my dad, and grandma and grandpa and on and on and on. You're so not capable of supporting anything that falls outside of a set parameter. So if you are a child that is growing up in a situation where that parameter is not met, you have less support in an already starving environment. Does that make sense? It's a starving environment already. You have souls that are coming in on this planet that in, in our culture in particular, that you look at generational trauma and then you have children who fall even outside of the norm of the, the meager bits that they get. And they, nobody, nobody has anything to give. So it's even worse. And so I think that trauma and that, that place of knowing, of course, gets, if you aren't seen, if you aren't uplifted, if you aren't acknowledged, if you aren't given the very basics, that question of who am I and what am I really cuts to the core, cuts to the quick. And that has to be a question that is always being run through the, the algorithm. And how do you get through that is how do we come back to Yes, forgiveness. Yes, all of the trauma work. But where do we come back to is I did grow. I am growing. I am doing this. This is where I talk about the capabilities. Like look at all, all of you and everything that you've accomplished because of and in spite of. Something in you grew to the light. You grew up. You grew 
into this. And sometimes there was resistance. Sometimes it felt like concrete got poured over your growth pattern, right? But something in you keeps growing and now you're helping others. And you're sharing your story, which helps others. You're putting cracks in the pavement, making it easier for others to find their way. And that's what we're talking about. That's what's happening generationally. So we're creating a better culture. We're creating a more loving environment for not just the kids that need it, not just the kids that fall into that framework for all kids, for all kids. Our hearts are more capable of doing more. I mean, we are capable of some amazing stuff. I have a question for you, Mia, as you were talking Mm -hmm. about the generational trauma. One of the, I'm going to, I'm going to shift that to talk about how do you think intuition or knowing is carried through generations. And one of the things that I like to say about how my mom is present in my life is that she is the gentle voice in my intuition. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious your thoughts on that. I mean, I, I kind of framed it that way so I could feel connected to her, right? <laughs> so that was for me. Um, but I do believe that too. So when, you know, obviously, I think we, we've all talked about generational trauma. On the flip side of that, I guess I want to talk about those things that we carry with us that are more positive, right? Like intuition. Yeah. Yeah. Can you speak to that? And then our time is like, it went so fast, but we're, we're running low. So let's talk about that. And then if we have any other questions from our co-hosts real quick, and then we'll close. I love the question because there is a lot. And I think that, I think intuition is innate in everyone. I think what you have are families and family lineage that recognize things. There are people that have true intuitive gifts, let's say expanded intuition, like mediumship, like seeing ghosts, talking to through and with other dimensions. You have healers, you have people who are doing this. However, intuition is innate in everyone, right? And so is empathy, right? Being empathic, there is a sense of that. There are people who have heightened gifts of that. So when you have generation after generation where it has been not just known, but recognized and acknowledged, people begin to look for it and reach for it and feel it because it's it's uplifted, right? The other piece is, is that even in the trauma, look at what has happened. Like we have strong women everywhere. We have, we have got, we're not getting worse. We're getting better. So we have to see that there is a life force and that people talk about the divine feminine rising, right? Let's just say the rise of feminine consciousness. We're feeling the, whenever there is any imbalance, any swing so hard, one direction, talk about politics, talk about culture, talk about, now we're talking about that we have gone so far into the masculine where we have dehumanized women in a lot of ways, demonized women. And we've done it for so long that in order to stay integrated, it needs to rise up. And it is, it's rising up. We talk about goddess. I love that, Sarah, you talked about that. We talk about mothers and feeling that mother energy, realizing we are all born through the mother and realizing how sacred that is, right? You can't deny it. It becomes, it's starting to come up in our conversations. We're starting to see women rising into their own power. We're starting to realize that we have not, 
even honored ourselves by being knowledgeable about who we are. So that's where we're going. But that is because of the generations and the generations and the generations of women who have not just fought for things, but shown up and raised children and did the very best they could. And men too. Let's not, I mean, there are amazing men out there, right? That are doing this. So that's what's coming through. And so I feel like we are heeding that call. I mean, even the fact that we're on this call and everybody who's listening is like, yes, I am heeding the call because I'm listening. I'm paying attention. I want something different. I want something different for my children. I want something different for their children. We're doing the best we can all the time in staying in that. Does that help answer your question? Yeah, that was beautiful. I love that when you said we are all born through the mother, like we cannot deny that. Like that no. felt so powerful to me hearing you say that and feeling that in my body. That's the gift. That's the gift that we were carried, that we were, that we were sometimes lovingly, sometimes in denial, sometimes through pain, but we, we came through that way. And so when we connect back like that, that we get to bring into our heart and know that that's how we came through. And so to deny that, to be in a society that wants to deny the power of that, that's as close to God as it gets. It's powerful, powerful stuff. So owning that and understanding that deifying, you know, moms, putting them on a, like putting them into these uncanny standards is a way of diminishing what a mother is to make them so all encompassing, but to be like, we all carry that with us and it's powerful. And I'm not, I'm not diminished. It's we all, we've been trained to do it. They're either perfect or they're awful. (laughs) And, and that's, that's the problem with that. And so we're coming back into that. And I hear that in this conversation. It's so beautiful. So beautiful. I mean, I, I do feel like I need to schedule something with you. (laughs) I guess I was wondering though, while speaking with us, did you have any, I mean, you guess you could call it intuitive feelings about any of us or anything that came through. I'm curious if there was anything that came up for you as we were talking. It's really interesting because when we were talking about holding back every single one of you your energy went pulled back every single one of you your energy went mm, nope maybe not don't want to do it and that's okay and so when that happens that means we're touching something right i don't want to know that that's really an option for me so shada in particular you kind of you called yourself out so i'll just say this like i think that you're toying with too many ideas that you don't need to be really giving equal time to. I think you're, if you took security off the table and went with what you really know you're here to do, you, you'd know exactly what to pick. Ah, uh, girl. <laughs> Christine, Christine, lock it down. Lock it down. This is not your time. This is, not, this is Mia and my time. <laughs> and Sarah, I was going to say with you the piece that you are you are wanting to create an environment for women I keep seeing like a like a like a safe space but I think you need to change that because I feel like everybody 
thinks they want a safe space, but I think it needs to be more like an incubator, like an incubator. Like what happens in an incubator? You, you grow, but what happens in a safe space is you stay safe. Does that make sense? I see. And that's brilliant. I'm writing this down. But my supervisor, who is very trauma-informed, has also pointed out using the term safe space, because I use that a lot. I feel like I, I really, I want to create safety so badly for me and everyone. But she's pointed out that it's so subjective and relative also that I mean, what I consider a safe space might not be. And also I might think I'm creating a safe space and someone. Anyways, it's a lot of assumptions are put on there. And I, I didn't think also about how when you're feeling really safe and comfortable, you aren't usually in a place of growth and transformation. However, I feel like there needs to be a level of safety, as we've talked about, in order to have the courage and the bravery to change. And so I'm going to try to figure out a way to integrate that. May I give you one more little piece? Yeah. Please. Maybe you're not the one to create it. Maybe the safety is something that they come to on their own. I'll let that marinate. Okay. Yeah, let that marinate. <laughs> and then Aaron, now I. I want to have a separate conversation with Aaron. So <laughs> partially because you have a, you have a baby on the way, right? Yeah. I want to have a separate conversation with you. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I would, I would, I would love that. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I just really wonderful. And I, we talked about the word intention mm-hmm. and I'm just going to say, and this isn't to scare you, but be prepared to not know love like you're experiencing, you're about to experience. Mm -hmm. It feels like your whole world's just going to like blow up in a really good way. So yeah, it's really awesome. I can't wait to, I want to meet this little one. (laughs) That's what I'm really arranging as a baby. (laughs) And Christine, I will just say, I think that there's lots, you're going through a, uh, an expansion. And you keep trying to put the brakes on it. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. That was such a good question. I'm glad you asked. Yeah. Yeah. That's actually just the perfect way to close. And I I really, that was actually going to be me. I was going to ask Mia, what are, what are some thoughts that you might be able to share with us? So it was just perfect. I want everyone to know who's listening that we will be sharing Mia's information in our show notes. So please check there and on our website. And I just have to thank you again, Nia, for this beautiful time together and for my co-hosts for sharing this space. What an awesome conversation. We could have gone on and on, right? So thank you again. Thank you for listening this week, everyone. And thank you to our incredible guest, Nia, and to my amazing co-hosts. Make sure to subscribe so you don't miss our next episode. We release new content every other Tuesday. In our next episode, we'll be exploring mothering without our mothers. You can listen wherever you stream your podcasts. You can also find us at piecesofyoupodcast.com and on Instagram and Facebook at Pieces of You Podcast. If you love our pod, please rate and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. We would so appreciate it. 
take care of yourselves. And remember, if we work together, we can make the broken better. When you feel like you need glue to put back pieces of you, then we will work together to make the broken better. When the wounds are fresh and new and you don't think that they'll heal soon, you gotta stay open. If you share your story, it will.